<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Thursday, June 20th, 2019. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, Slack debuts as a publicly traded company. There will be congressional hearings about Libra. A Florida city pays ransom money to hackers, getting your internet from your light bulbs, and are we on the cusp of a fast-charging battery revolution? Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. So, Slack has had a really successful IPO, except it wasn't really an IPO, it was a direct listing. But never mind, because the headline is... Slack's so-called reference price for its direct listing was $26 a share this morning, which would have valued the company at $15.7 billion. But when Slack opened for trading late this morning under the ticker symbol WORK, it surged 60% to actually open at $38.50 to actually value the company at about $20 billion. As of April, Slack had been valued at around $17 billion on the secondary markets and at its most recent financing round in 2018, Slack had a valuation of $7.1 billion. Again, this was a direct listing, like Spotify recently had, quoting CNBC, in a direct listing, unlike an IPO, banks do not underwrite the offering And no new shares are sold, so the company does not receive any additional money for operations. It's simply a way for existing shareholders to get liquidity by registering their shares for sale on the public market. Plus, Slack doesn't need to raise more money since it already has more than $800 million in cash on hand. Slack said it engaged Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, and Allen & Company as financial advisors, and several more firms as associate financial advisors to assist in the process. Like many tech companies, Slack debuts with a dual-class structure, with Class B shares holding 10 votes per share to consolidate voting power among its top shareholders. According to Slack's prospectus, Acel is the company's largest shareholder at 24%, followed by Andreessen Horowitz with a 13.3% stake, and Social Capital with a 10.2% stake. Slack CEO Stuart Butterfield owns an 8.6% stake, and SoftBank holds 7.3%. Slack reported a net loss of $138.9 million on revenue of $400.55 million for the year ended January 31st. As of January 31st, Slack said it had over 10 million daily active users and saw its number of paid customers increase 49% year-over-year compared to its fiscal year 2018. Its paid customers paying over $100,000 based on annual recurring revenue was up 93% year-over-year compared with fiscal 2018, according to the prospectus, end quote. Well, that was fast. The Senate Banking Committee says it will hold a hearing on Facebook's Libra plans on July 16th. Sources are telling Reuters that David Marcus, who leads Facebook's blockchain efforts, is expected to testify. As many people noted on Twitter, that would be a sharp contrast to the not-quite-so-eagerness with which Mark Zuckerberg agreed to testify before Congress about privacy issues. Quoting Reuters, 
The announcement comes one day after the social media giant unveiled plans to launch a global cryptocurrency, which immediately attracted attention from regulators across the globe and skepticism from Washington. Representative Maxine Waters, the Democrat who chairs the House Financial Services Committee, said Tuesday she planned to similarly call Facebook to testify and ask the company to halt the project while policymakers studied it. In May, the leaders of the Senate Banking Committee wrote to Facebook, seeking information on rumors of its cryptocurrency project and how it would protect consumer information, end quote. Again, this is super early days about Libra, but I'm suddenly really wondering if we'll actually see Libra come to fruition, at least as it's currently proposed. I mean, in theory, every single country in the world can have a say on if Libra is allowed inside its borders. As someone said on Twitter, the thing about cryptocurrencies is you're always existing thanks to the grace or benign neglect of governments. In an instant, they can regulate you out of existence. This is Mark Carney, the governor of the Bank of England. Quote, anything that works in this world will become instantly systemic and will have to be subject to the highest standards of regulation, Carney said. We will look at it very closely and in a coordinated fashion at the level of the G7, the BIS, the FSB, and the IMF. So open mind, but not open door, end quote. As Matt Stoller wrote in his excellent newsletter this morning, quote, instantly systemic means that Facebook will have to prove to financial regulators in every country in which it seeks to operate that it will not destroy the world economy with its new toy money. Carney's statement is consistent with comments from France's finance minister, Bruno Lamarie, Australia's central bank, and Indonesia's central bank. There's a G7 working group to examine systemic risk, consumer protection, surveillance, and the effect of such currencies on monetary policy, end quote. As someone else pointed out on Twitter, and sorry, I've been really bad at saving tweets this week, so I can't give credit. In theory, if Facebook's currency got into trouble because it's backed by this reserve of financial instruments and currencies, it could require a bailout to rescue it. And isn't that what motivated Satoshi Nakamoto to start Bitcoin in the first place? Horror at the big bank bailouts of the Great Recession? Quoting Stoller again, I have a hard time believing that Sheryl Sandberg thinks Libra is a good idea considering she used to work at Treasury as the chief of staff for Larry Summers, and she would understand all the toes this idea steps on but maybe she's bought into the move fast and break things ideology or simply thinks the political system is so weak it can't stop a power grab this audacious. Or maybe she doesn't have the power internally to stop this or doesn't care enough to do so. At any rate, now the question goes to regulators and lawmakers globally, end quote. And remember yesterday how I told you that YouTube was making, or at least considering making changes to children's videos on the platform. Yeah, well, those changes might not entirely be their idea because YouTube might be getting pushed. Sources are telling the Washington Post that the FTC is in the late stages of a probe into privacy practices around children's videos on YouTube. Quote, The complaints contend that YouTube, which is owned by Google, failed to protect kids who used the streaming service and improperly collected their data in violation of the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, a 1998 law known as COPA that forbids the tracking and targeting of users younger than age 13. The possibility of a hefty penalty against YouTube, including a settlement forcing YouTube to change its practices to better protect kids, could signal a new phase in the FTC's enforcement of the child privacy law, which many critics say has grown weak amid the technological changes over the past two decades, end quote. 
You see, this is what some kinds of regulations are for. To, you know, gently or not so gently nudge companies to do the right thing. Not all the time, but sometimes regulations are useful. The Tech Meme Ride Home is brought to you once again by Silicon Valley Bank, the bank built to help move bold ideas forward faster. For more than 35 years, Silicon Valley... When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months, or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Octa-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride, collide.com slash ride. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Sources are telling the Wall Street Journal that Apple is asking suppliers to study the feasibility of shifting final assembly of some products out of China amid trade tensions. Quote, while any major changes would be difficult and could take months or years to implement, Apple is looking into the feasibility of shifting up to around a third of the production for some devices, some of the people said. Destinations under consideration include Southeast Asia, the people said. No decision has been made on such a move, some of the people said. Any such transition, they said, is unlikely to significantly affect the iPhone in the near term because the company relies on hundreds of thousands of workers available in China to manufacture the high-volume product, which depends heavily on human hands for assembling, as well as a deep network of suppliers there, end quote. Now, I suppose there's nothing surprising here. Why wouldn't you at least hedge your bets and make contingency plans if you're Apple? It would be malfeasance if you didn't. But I'd love to read a piece about the following. Low-cost manufacturing of especially electronics migrated over the last, I don't know, 70 years from places like Japan and Korea and Taiwan to, over the last 30 years especially, mainland China. And the anticipation has always been that eventually it would continue to move on, probably to Southeast and South Asia, This sort of thing is inevitable and predictable as manufacturing economies enrich certain countries, manufacturing moves on, chasing cheaper and cheaper labor. 
any successful manufacturing economy faces the risk of eventually pricing itself out of the market niche it filled so successfully. I'd love to hear someone smarter than me opine as to what degree the trade war of the last few months might be accelerating this anticipated trend. Will trade wars with China be moot in five years because manufacturing will have already moved on? I haven't shared many of these stories with you, but more and more cities and municipalities are falling victim to hacker attacks where either the hackers steal data or encrypt data or straight up crash systems and then contact the governments involved and demand a ransom to make things work again. There is a new story about this every week or so, which is why I haven't done them before. I'd be doing them all the time. But the sad fact is this is becoming more and more common, and this might be becoming more and more common. The Riviera Beach City Council of Riviera Beach, Florida, a suburb of Palm Beach, voted unanimously to pay $600,000 in ransom to hackers who, three weeks ago, encrypted the city's records, disabled its email system, and more. Quote, Spokeswoman Rose Ann Brown said Wednesday that the city of 35,000 residents has been working with outside security consultants who recommended the ransom be paid. She conceded there are no guarantees that once the hackers receive the money, they will release the records. The payment is being covered by insurance. The FBI on its website says it, quote, doesn't support paying off hackers, but Riviera Beach isn't alone. Many government agencies and businesses do. Quote, we are relying on the consultant's advice, she said. The hackers demanded payment in the cryptocurrency Bitcoin. While it is possible to trace Bitcoins as they are spent, the owners of the accounts aren't necessarily known, making it a favored payment method in ransomware attacks. Numerous governments and businesses have been hit in the United States and worldwide in recent years. Baltimore refused to pay hackers $76,000 after an attack last month. The U.S. government indicted two Iranians last year for allegedly unleashing more than 200 ransomware attacks, including against the cities of Atlanta and Newark, New Jersey. The men who have not been arrested received more than $6 million in payments and caused $30 million in damage to computer systems, federal prosecutors have said, end quote. As Malware Jake tweeted, Ouch! 600k for ransomware. Honestly, that probably could have been negotiated down, but if you have no available backups of your critical records, what choice do you really have? Now, go make changes so this is a one-time thing." End quote. Let's end with two straight cool tech product stories today. Signify, formerly known as Philips Lighting, makes the Hue-branded smart lights. And this morning, they announced True Li-Fi, a new brand of lights that can also deliver internet and data access at speeds of up to 150 Mbps from the lights. They do this via a technology called Li-Fi, which has actually been around for years. Instead of using radio waves like 4G, 5G, or Wi-Fi, Li-Fi transmits data over visible light, ultraviolet, or infrared spectrums. Using light to transmit data can offer advantages, including a wider bandwidth channel, immunity to electromagnetic interference, and high transmission speeds. There are some notable drawbacks as well. Virtually no laptops or smartphones have Li-Fi receivers, so you need a dongle or external adapter to use. And the signal can be blocked if the receiver is in a shadow or line of sight is blocked. Quoting The Verge, 
In the right circumstances, however, Li-Fi's use of light rather than radio signals to transmit data has its advantages. For example, it can be used in areas where there might be a lot of radio frequency interference or in places like hospitals where RF could interfere with sensitive machines. While Li-Fi signals can be easily blocked, this disadvantage can be a boon to security applications since you have a lot more control over where the network spreads, end quote. This might not be something that even comes to phones or laptops ever, but I can see a ton of use cases for all manner of Internet of Things gadgetry. And one of the laments of tech for the last decade or so has been that battery technology has basically been stuck in a rut. But is that about to change? Are we on the cusp of a fast-charging revolution for fast charging, at least, of cell phone batteries. At Mobile World Congress Shanghai next week, Vivo is apparently going to demonstrate 120-watt super flash charge technology that can recharge a 4,000 mAh battery in just 13 minutes. A 50% charge only takes five minutes, and Vivo is not alone. All the Chinese phone makers seem to be in a race to one-up each other on fast charging technology, quoting Android Central. Oppo now offers a 50-watt Super VOOC charging solution, and Huawei has 40-watt charging with the P30 Pro. Earlier this year, Xiaomi showed off a 100-watt wired charging solution that fills a 4,000 mAh battery in just 17 minutes, and Vivo is now aiming to outdo that with its Super Flash Charge tech. The main issue with such fast charging solutions inevitably tends to be battery degradation, so we'll have to see what Vivo is doing to ensure that the battery itself is able to sustain these voltages, end quote. So apropos of absolutely nothing, a book recommendation. I made a grave mistake last week. I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about other fantasy books like the Game of Thrones books. And somebody recommended the first Law trilogy by Joe Abercrombie. So I bought the first book in the series and I almost quit it because the book opens with a lot of torture stuff and I can't stand torture stuff. All that reek Ramsey Theon stuff in Game of Thrones drove me nuts. I don't even like the Euron Greyjoy stuff in A Feast for Crows. But I stuck with it and here we are a week later. I've already devoured books one and two and I'm on to book three and this is why it was a mistake. I am literally sneaking in a chapter here and there in between every waking minute I have. I can't remember the last time I was so engrossed by a book series. It was probably either the Broken Earth trilogy or the Southern Reach trilogy. But as I said, apropos of absolutely nothing, if you like your fantasy medieval and gritty, this is good stuff. The First Law trilogy. It's faster moving than George R.R. Martin. Link to the first book in the series, The Blade Itself, at the very bottom of the show notes. Talk to you tomorrow.